and I'll be speaking uh, today and over the next couple of weeks from the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and if I can tell you one thing, it's this, we need to keep the faith, eh? we need to keep the faith. Well, but right before I get into the passage and, and read it to you, I want to I talk to you. Uh, I, I can remember as a kid, sometimes uh, Dad would bring the whole family together for, for one of those family uh, sit-down-let's-talk-about-thing events. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? And uh, occasionally through the years, I've brought my family together just to share uh, news or events or, or to have a, a family fireside chat, that's what I like to call them. And so I want to do that today with us because you know what? We are a family, huh? That's who we are. We are the family of faith. In fact, our motto here at Kavanaugh Church is, your church for life. And and that's what we want to be. We want to be your church for life through the good times and the bad times, through the ups and the downs, when you're young and when you're old. We want you to have a place to come and fit in and worship God. That's why we are your church for life. Our mission, however, is this. It's to win, to train, and to send. Uh, win, train, sin. That is our mission as Kavanaugh Church. In that, what we mean is this. We want to win people to Jesus. Uh, that's what God has called us here to do, to win the lost to Jesus Christ. After they are one to Christ, we want them to be trained or discipled, to become followers of Jesus Christ. And once that is accomplished, then we want to push you outside the walls of this church, out into the real world where you can be a light for Jesus Christ. So we send you out. Thus, win, train, sin. Your church for life, win, train, sin. And I say, I can't tell you the joy that I find in my heart when I see that fleshed out with people. When they come here, get saved, understand what the Christian life is all about, and then go out in the real world and live out their faith. That, that's what all of this is about, guys. That's what we preach to you. That's what, what we try to live for you as an example. And so it thrills me when I see that happening. And it happens time and time and time again. Now I'm saying all that to tell you the news that I have to share with you today. Uh, a, a part of that has happened within our church recently and specifically on our church staff. Uh, eight years ago, in April of 2007, we, we hired a guy on staff that was actually a member in the congregation. He was a layman, but uh, we could tell God's working in his life, and we could tell that there's a call of God on him. And so we invited Dave to join our staff, and uh, he's been with us now for eight years. Can you believe eight years? Wow, man, time flies. And, And Dave has worn a number of hats during those past eight years. Currently, he's serving as our merge pastor, which is a pastor over our college and, and young career age people, and, and they love Dave, and, and Dave loves them. Well, here's, here's the deal, long story short. You know, within our staff, I can look at different guys and, and see God's specific calling on them to do specific things. For example, uh, Lucas, did you know your dad was wired and made to be a children's pastor? I mean, there, church, there is no doubt, Brother Johnny Miller was wired and made to be a children's pastor cowboy. <laughs> that's what he was made to be. And there's no doubt in my mind that, that that's God's calling on Brother Johnny's life. Well, let me tell you, for Dave, it's kind of been a little different because I knew all along, right after he came on staff here, I, I could start to tell that, you know what? Uh, he's a great guy. He's an excellent staff member. He does a super job in whatever he does. But there's a different call on his life. I don't know if you could see that, but I could see it. And Dave and I have had many conversations about it. God wired Dave 
to get up every Sunday morning and preach. God made him to be a pastor. And so over these last eight years, God has been preparing him for that task. He received his education at Hillsdale, but he got his training at Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church, all right? You guys trained him to be what he is today. Well, word gets around, and, and word got over into the territory, <laughs> Oklahoma, that, uh, that Dave was of the caliber he is. And there's a church in Ada, Oklahoma, that came open. A couple of week, uh, months ago, they called and asked Dave if he would pray about becoming their pastor. Uh, he prayed about it. He went and preached for them. And this past Wednesday night, they voted to call Dave as their pastor. It's the Harmony Free Will Baptist Church in Ada, Oklahoma. I'll tell you what I told the first service, Ada, you can spell it forwards or backwards and you get the same thing. It's Ada, Oklahoma. And so uh, Dave told me Thursday that, uh, that he's going. Uh, we told the staff on Friday, and I'm telling you today, uh, our Dave and Christy Evans with Annika will be uh, leaving the end of September. The first Sunday in October will be his first Sunday as pastor of the Harmony Free Will Baptist Church. So our loss is their gain, all right? Our loss is their gain. I want you to join with me right now as we give Dave a big round of applause for his service here. Appreciate him so much and love him. That's awesome. That's awesome. But you might think, well, you know, we just read on the bulletin that September 27th is Roundup Day. I think that's a little ironic myself. <laughs> the, the one staff member that doesn't really care for Roundup Day, that's just, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty cool, isn't it? But I'm, I made an executive decision, though, on Friday. We're going to move Roundup Day to October the 4th. We want September 27th to be a, a special day. I'm, I'm calling it the Forces With You Day. <laughs> and, uh, and that Sunday night, September 27th, Sunday night, we're going to have a, a family gathering in here where all of us will come together. We're going to have a special service for, for Dave and Christy. I even told them he gets to pick out the songs that our praise teams will sing. And then we're going to have a commissioning service for him uh, as we commission him uh, as our missionary to Oklahoma. All right? That's, that's what it will be. I want to pray for Dave and Christy right now. And then I'm, I am going to preach. All right? So let's pray for this sermon as well. Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for the call that you have placed on every believer's life. Lord, thank you for the gifts that your spirit gives. And then, dear Lord, for churches where we can use those gifts and minister to the saints of God. I thank you for Dave and Christy and Anakin and their entire family, uh, Zach and J.K. and Brittany. Lord, would you bless them during this transition? Would, would you just make it easy for them? Uh, Lord, I pray that in Ada... <laughs> They would find a family that's just as loving and just as special as this church is. Lord, I pray that they be good to Dave and Christy, that they respect them and honor them and follow their leadership. And dear Lord, I pray that Dave would take all the things that he's seen and, and heard and learned here at Kavanaugh and use them for your kingdom's growth. Lord, we're needy people, and boy, we need you right now. So would you speak to us through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to change gears again, and let's get into the word of God. All right, church? 
Are you with me? What I'm going to talk to you about today is, is keeping the faith. And this sermon is entitled, In Times Like These. In fact, in the time of the Apostle Paul, Christianity itself was under assault. In fact, this letter was written against the backdrop of persecution. And you don't have to read very far into 2 Timothy to figure that out. For example, let me just read a few verses. Chapter 1, verse 8, Paul said, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Paul was suffering physically for the sake of the gospel. Then in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Then chapter 3, verse 1, But know this, that in the last day perilous times will come. Boy, that's where we are, church. Right here in the last days. And then verse 12 of chapter 3, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That was Paul's world. Many of us are unaware of what's going on in our world today in terms of persecution against Christians. I believe if the church in America really knew what was going on and if the world media really cared about the basic human rights of Christians, there would be a far greater outcry in our world today because of the persecution the church is facing. But you know what? Even here in America today, there is a growing consensus in society that Christians, and I hate to use this phrase, but here's what the world thinks of us. The world thinks today that Christians are a bunch of dangerous idiots. Some of you are familiar with the writings of Richard Dawkins. He represents a new and fundamentalist form of atheism that is really catching wind in our world today. Let me just share a couple of his quotes with you. He said, The virgin birth, the resurrection, the raising of Lazarus, even the Old Testament miracles are all freely used for religious propaganda. And they are very effective with an audience of the unsophisticated and little children. Well, call me unsophisticated, <laughs> but I certainly believe in them. He also said it should be seen as child abuse to teach little children about Jesus Christ. Okay? That's the way the world feels about us. Another of the new atheists is George H. Smith. He wrote this, Christian theism must be rejected by any person with even a shred of respect for reason. Well, those words represent the current climate that we find ourselves in America today. This kind of thinking has taken hold of America's academic institutions and much of our media, and it is creating an environment in which some people are even warning about the coming day when Christianity is outlawed in America. Well, when the Apostle Paul wrote 2 Timothy, Christianity was a criminal offense. Christians were, were being arrested and convicted and imprisoned and even killed for their faith. 
In fact, Christianity is criminalized in much of the world today. And when we read 2 Timothy, we're eavesdropping on a conversation between an older, imprisoned Christian and a younger one who was feeling a sense of threat and intimidation by a hostile society for a message that he was preaching, which was the good news. And guys, I can't think of anything that is more current or relevant than that. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, in effect, to keep the faith. And so I'm telling you today as a church, let's keep the faith. And then here in chapter 1, he gives us four attitudes that we need to have in times like these. Okay? So here they are, four attitudes. Don't get an attitude with me, all right? Let's have these attitudes. Four attitudes we need to have in times like these. Number one, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful. As incredible as it seems... This letter, which is all about peril and persecution, opens on a note of thanksgiving. Let me read verses 3 through 5. He said, I thank God. Underline that. Paul starts the letter. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, That I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded, Timothy, it is in you as well. Sitting there in that dungeon in Rome. And looking back over his dramatic life. The Apostle Paul thought of the time which is recorded in Acts chapter 16. When he showed up in the small town of Lystra, there he found a small home occupied by a grandmother, a mother, and a teenage boy by the name of Timothy. Apparently his father was unsympathetic to the Christian faith, but Timothy's mother and grandmother were ardent believers and followers of Jesus. Paul wanted to take this young man, Timothy, who was just a teenager, with him on his second missionary journey. And somehow these two women agreed to do it. I can just close my eyes and and picture the scene in that home. Young Timothy uh, deciding to take off with this unusual evangelist. And his mama and his grandmother trying to help him pack his bags. And all of it happening so quickly. And whoosh, they were out the door and on the missionary trail. And now years had passed. And the apostle Paul was writing... One last letter to this young man who was soon going to be his successor in the ministry. And he was thankful to God. Paul was thanking God for the fact that his pathway had led him through that little town of Lystra. And that God had placed these two women in that small home. And there he had met a teenage boy who had a heart and passion for God. And that through the years there had been this unbroken fellowship and partnership with this little group of friends. Paul said, thank God for that. Church, let me do a quick time out and tell you that I thank God for Christian friends. I truly do. I thank God for Christian. I thank God every day for you. 
I've got a wonderful family. My mom and dad are awesome. My wife is the greatest there is. I got some great kids. I love my family. But you know what? You too are my family. And I love you and I'm thankful for you. I truly am. I'm thankful for you. I honestly don't know how people make it through this rugged life without a Christian family to lean on and depend on. Because life is tough and it throws us a bunch of curveballs. And we need Christian friends, don't we? I thank God for my Christian friends. And I say that encouragingly to you. Number one, for you to get plugged in and find some Christian friends in this church. Now, it's great to come here on Sunday mornings and, and worship with us publicly. But you know what? All you do is kind of rub elbows with people here on, in a public worship service. You, you really don't get to know people that well. So come back on Sunday nights and get involved in Bible study. Find some people you can, you can do life with and pray with and support. And then, secondly, be that friend. Be that friend. You, you need to know that, that when you go through tough times, there are people that have your back. And you know what? You need to, to do the same thing. When your friends are going through a tough time, you need to have their back. Well, you don't gossip about them or run them down or, or make fun of them or belittle them or push them further down the ladder than they've fallen. You reach down and pull them up. Why? Because they're your brother or sister in Christ and you love them and support them. You need that, but you know what? You also need to give that. And that's what Paul is doing here. In chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, he's thanking God for his Christian friends. Not long ago, a Medal of Honor was presented to the family of Lieutenant Michael Murphy. Murphy was a Navy SEAL who gave his life in the line of duty. Murphy and three other Navy SEALs were sent on a mission in June of 2005 into the rugged 10,000 feet Afghan mountains. They were, they were searching for known terrorists. They were apparently spotted by some local tribesmen who reported them to the Taliban. Murphy's team was trapped by 50 enemy troops who surrounded them on three sides and then squeezed them into a ravine. Soon all four of these men had suffered injury. They were all shot and they soon ran out of ammunition. We were hurting bad, said the team's sole survivor, Petty Officer 2nd Class Marcus Luttrell. We were out of ammo and it was bad. I mean to tell you, it was real bad. He went on to describe how Murphy, his leader, moved from man to man, trying to keep his team together, uh, even though he had to expose himself to enemy fire to do so. Then, because of the mountainous terrain blocked the communications, Murphy had to move into an open area to call for help. Despite incoming fire... He calmly provided his unit's location and information about the opposing force. While making the call, Murphy took two rounds in the back. He dropped the handset, but he managed to receive it and complete the call. And then he even said, thank you, at the end of the transmission. His dad, speaking to reporters later, said, Here is a man who had been shot in the stomach. He kept fighting, even with his wounds in his stomach. Then he gets shot in the back. But he still had the presence of mind to say, thank you. That's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here to do, church. 
He's telling us, hey, you know what? You are in a combat situation on this earth. Paul knew the fight that was going on all around him. He knew that he would soon be a casualty. But he opens this final book on a note of thanksgiving. He is telling us, listen guys, in times like this, we still need to be thankful. Second, in times like these, we need to be zealous. We've got to fan into flame the gift God has given to us and we need to get to work. Church, did you hear that? You need to fan into flame the gift God has given you and you need to get to work. Look at verses 6 and 7. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. So go out there and get them. I tell you what, when I read that I just get all fired up. Lucas, it makes me think of Friday night football, man. That's what it does. You know, you go in at halftime, you're, you're getting beat, and the coach gets up on the table and gives you a little motivational speech, doesn't he? That, that's what I read in these words right here, man. Paul's pumping, pumping Timothy up. Timothy, I know it's bad. I know it's tough. But you know what? God's given you a gift, son. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Woo! Get out there and get them, boy. Man. We're about to turn into Pentecostal, so let me just simmer down here a little bit. Interesting, though, when I read verse 6, he, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What, what he's referring to there is the ordination that, that Timothy went through. Uh, Timothy was called by God to be a minister, to be an evangelist. And, and so there was some kind of service at some point in time where these apostles got around young Timothy, and I'm sure Paul had some words of admonition and challenge to give to him. And then they laid their hands on him. And they prayed over him, symbolizing God's presence in his life and God's power to come on this young man. It was the laying on of hands. We, we do the same thing in our church when, when young men feel called into the ministry and they are ordained as a gospel preacher or missionary or evangelist. We will lay our hands on them just as Paul laid his hands on Timothy. And so there was a special connection between the apostle Paul and Timothy. This was his son in the ministry. He, he loved this young man. He cared deeply for him. And, and so I kind of get in the feeling here that Paul was, was a little bit concerned for Timothy. Maybe worried that Timothy was feeling discouraged and intimidated. We can all feel that way at times, can't we? Can't we? And you know what? It's hard to keep on going when you get discouraged. Isn't it? I mean, it's hard. It's hard to keep going when you get discouraged. There, there have not been many times in, in my ministry when I've gotten discouraged, but there have been a few times when, I've been, when I have been so discouraged, it was everything that I had within me to stand up and preach the Word of God. I was just down. I was discouraged. I, I know a little bit about what he's saying and what I'm talking about. But you know what? Here is Paul's encouragement. Yes, you might get down and yes, you will get discouraged. But you've got to keep 
fanning into flame the gift that God has given to you. You have to remain fervent. You've got to stay excited. You must be joyful. Because there's a job to do. And if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. So you got to do it. You say, okay, preacher, I understand that. But how, how, do, you do, how do we keep going when we're discouraged? How do, how do we keep going when we're going through what Miss Angie was talking about before she sang her song? When we've fallen down that ladder and our chin has hit the last rung, how do, how do, we, keep, how do we remain joyful? How do we stir up that gift? Well, I'll tell you how we do it. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7 is one of the Bible's great verses about the Holy Spirit. He said in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. So you know what? That fear that is in your life is not from God. God doesn't give you a spirit of fear. That, that is from our enemy, the devil. So you put that fear behind you. It is not from God. What has God given to you? He has given you a spirit of, whoo, I like this, power. <laughs> of love and of a sound mind. Now that, that phrase is interesting to me. In fact, the actual Greek word for sound mind comes from two Greek terms that have literally been fused together. The first means saved or delivered. The second term means a person's mind. That is their intelligence, the way they think. And when you put these two words together, it really means having a mind that has been delivered and rescued and is now safe and secure. I think Paul was saying to Timothy and to the rest of us, you might be tempted to lose your nerve. You might be timid and afraid. You, you might be thinking you're about to fall apart or collapse or to succumb to fear. But I want you to know something, Timothy. And church, I want you to know something. God has given you a gift to use in your service to Him. And you've got to stay encouraged as the Holy Spirit infuses inside of you His power, His love, and the ability to keep your head when everything else is falling apart. Man, woo! I might start preaching here in a little bit. You just stay with me, all right? In other words, he's saying be zealous. Be zealous. Number three, let's be unashamed. In times like these, we need to be thankful. We need to be zealous. We need to be unashamed. I'm going to read to you verses 8 through 12. Follow along on the screen behind me. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. 
For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Amen. I love this part of the chapter because right in the middle of it, Paul gives one of his many periodic summaries of the gospel. What is the message that is so important that prison and death can't stop it? Well, it's this message. It's the message of the good news. From the beginning of time, God has ordained saving grace. And it has now been revealed in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who by His death and resurrection destroyed death and brought life and immortality through the preaching of the gospel. Woo, that's good news. But you know what? The problem is... For a whole lot of people, it's not a message that is very well received. <laughs> Do you know that? For, for, in fact, for most of the people in the world, they reject that message. In fact, Paul says in this passage, this is why I am suffering in chains right now. Because I have been faithful to preach the good news of the gospel. The world doesn't want the good news, thus they put me in prison. Yet, he said, I'm not ashamed. And you don't need to be ashamed either. For we know whom we have believed and are persuaded that he is able to keep that which we have committed unto him against that day. What a great verse, isn't it? I've told you the story before about a woman who through her life memorized most of the Bible. And her favorite passage was this one in 2 Timothy 1.12. I know whom I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. It was her life verse. You could hear her saying it everywhere she went. As she grew older, she began forgetting part of the Bible. And then she forgot the first part of this verse. But she remembered the part that said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. But then she grew older. She forgot some more of the verse, but they say you could still hear her say the phrase, He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him. And finally there came a day when she had forgotten that whole verse. She had forgotten everything she had memorized except for one word, and it was the word Him, H-I-M, capital H-I-M. And they say you could still hear her whispering, Him, Him, him. She had forgotten all the Bible except for that one word. But you know what? In that one word, she had the whole Bible. In times like these, we need to be thankful. We need to be zealous. We need to be unashamed. And finally, we need to be vigilant. In times like these, we need to be vigilant. Let me read verses 13 through the end of the chapter. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom were Phygelus and Hermogenus. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, who often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously, and he found me. 
The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me even while we were at Ephesus. Again, what a remarkable passage of scripture. We just saw back up in verse 12 that we as believers have entrusted some things to the Lord Jesus. That is our lives and our work for him. And he is able to keep that and he is able to guard that. But then in the next verse, 13, it tells us that God has entrusted some things into our care. Specifically, His gospel and His message. And church, we must be vigilant to guard it and to preach it. Hold fast, He said in verse 13, The pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So when Paul talks about the pattern of sound teaching, he's talking about our doctrine. He's talking about our theology. Church, it's very easy to adjust our theology according to the winds of whatever is culturally relevant or politically correct. To give in, to change the Word of God, to bow to pressure. It's happening all around us. Churches are doing it. Major denominations are doing it. But I'm here to tell you we can't do it. We will not do it. Our doctrine and our biblical teachings may have different applications in different time periods. But I'm here to tell you, our Bibles remain infallible and our Bible remains inerrant. And our doctrine is not subject to the blowing winds of change. God has promised He's going to keep us. You know what? We've been commissioned and we need to promise back to God we are going to be vigilant in keeping His word Preaching it, teaching it, and living it. Then it's interesting to me how Paul ends this chapter. He ends this chapter by giving us two examples of men who had caved in to, to cultural pressure. Maybe, maybe they felt political pressure and they, they just caved in. He talks about these guys in verses 15 through 18. I'm calling them Bert and Ernie. They got weird names. I, I, I wonder why... the i got all these weird biblical names, you know. We'll just call them Bert and Ernie. We, we don't know anything else about these guys. It's the only time they're mentioned in the whole Bible. But apparently they were two Christians in the city of Ephesus whom Paul had relied on. They, they had proven themselves faithful at the time, but to his great amazement, they had deserted him. In the current crisis that the Christians found themselves in. If, it's not that they had just moved down the street and went to another church. They had abandoned the Lord. They, they dropped out. When the going got tough, they got out. When the oven got hot, they got out of the oven, man. And I, I, just... This just amazed a guy like the Apostle Paul because, you know, Paul, he, he was in lock, stock, and barrel, man. He had given his all to Jesus. He couldn't, he couldn't imagine somebody turning their back just because the pressure was turned up a little bit. 
you can take that however you want to. I, I take it as, a, as an admonishment to me. You know, what? the fire's going to get hot, Will, but you need to stay in there. You need to stay in there. On the other hand, there was this one very bold believer who, who surprised Paul by his courage and his encouragement. Onesiphorus. We read about him in verses 16 and 18. And, and, and Paul is amazed that this guy remained vigilant and faithful. Maybe, maybe he was the guy that Paul thought at the time, if anybody's going to drop out, it's going to be old Oni. <laughs> Not Bert and Ernie. But the opposite happened. And when the going got tough, man, he dug his heels in and he remained vigilant and he remained faithful. I'm going to pray that God brings some men into the Harmony Church at Ada who just like on this for us backed up Paul. They're going, to, they're going to back up you, buddy, because you need that. And I want to tell you publicly, I am so thankful for the men that God has bring, brought into this church who through the years have had my back. Makes all the difference in the world, church. I know, I know I'm preaching to the choir right now, but this is, this is something I just need to say to you. You might think ministry is all glorious and hunky-dory and peachy keen and we never have any problems in our life. Let me tell you, we deal daily not only with our own problems, but with your problems as well. And it can get discouraging. You think the devil attacks you? Come live in my shoes for a day. He knows if he knocks me off of this pulpit, he's won a great victory. And I'm not saying that in any kind of egotistical way. That's just, that's the world I live in, man. And I'm telling you, sometimes, sometimes it's all I can do to keep my nose above the level of water and not sink. And so I thank God that I have some men. Now, women, don't, don't mis misunderstand me. I love you and I appreciate you. And we certainly need your encouragement as well. But you know what? I need the men of this church to stand up and be a man with me as we stand against this world and stand up for our families. And so I thank God for you men who have done that. And Dave, let me tell you, I do pray that you have some men like that in your church because you will need them. You'll need them. So you know what? Paul is thankful. He's thankful. He's zealous. He's unashamed. And he's vigilant. And there you've got the first chapter of 2 Timothy. I, I think the lessons are so relevant to our day. When so many young Christian people go off to college and they are influenced by liberal professors. When so many American church attenders become distracted by the things of this world and they drift away. When so much persecution and intimidation is facing us as Christian believers. In the last days, Paul said, perilous times are coming. But in times like these, we must stay thankful. 
zealous, unashamed, and vigilant. In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Let's be very sure our anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Heavenly Father, would you do something special in this room right now? Lord, I know you're here. You've been here through this whole service.